Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. My name is Andre and this is the first time in 2022 that the trio is back together. Like Function and Owen have already recorded an episode about the whole Djokovic saga last week. So we're not going to be chatting about this this week, especially because it's still in the middle of everything like there's not much certainty is still like about you know whether he's going to play whether he's even going to stay in australia there is other things are also like entering the chat when it comes to this like other countries and whatever we're not really down here for this today but just going to be a refreshingly good old tennis talk about um tactics and good shots and good names they're doing well and of course the atp cup because i'm canadian and Canada just won, and that's amazing. Um, so yeah, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, it's really nice to have the trio sort of back together. You know, Owen and I, when we did that episode, a lot has happened in the last one week, and some of those things have really just not relevant anymore. And you know, we're we're still in the midst of midst of all of this, and the draw for the Australian Open is supposed to come out in about four hours. You know, as we're recording this, and we're still not sure what's going to happen. But you know, despite all the tumultuous road uh, to the Australian Open. Uh, starting so far like there's been some amazing tennis so i'm really happy to sit here and chat about all everything that's gone on on the court so yeah i mean um i I don't know about you guys but personally i'm just devastated that we're not going to be breaking down like immigration laws and COVID protocol because i think i really think djokovic is like the the hottest most fun topic in tennis right now no i'm I'm totally kidding um (laughs) that i couldn't be more tired of that story and i'm really excited to talk about on court tennis so yeah let's get into it Yep. And this is what we're here for, rather yes. than the yeah. epidemiology and lawyer. Epidemiology. <laughs> Immigration and, and bagels or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, I don't know about you guys, but I watched the trial for like a couple minutes and I was like, I don't know what is going on. Mm, <laughs> I think like, yeah. one of the lawyers was like, please turn to section like ALQXB1752. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm I'm yeah. tapping out of this. Those those sure. things are, are are good that they 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 turn them live, but it's it's not for everyone. <laughs> like it's 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 not entertainment. Like let's yeah. just put it that way. I, I think on um, my dad why I didn't go to law school. So. Right. I, I think on uh, Microsoft Teams as well. They forgot to like mute everyone, and so fans like took it over at one point and started like blasting um, music before it started. <laughs> is it like a is if it's a tennis match and the DJ is like? <laughs> It's like imagine the the tunnel walk just Djokovic entering the court. It's like oh, oh my god. Gosh. Um, although his his on court walk at um remember the Paris Masters with uh, Medvedev in the final yeah that was a really cool on court walk. It was like flashy and they had a bunch of lights. I know Paris is is great. Like for all the crap that we give them like before the end of the year because it's like oh this shouldn't even be a Masters in thousand yeah they do a great job. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean they do. I mean like every time I write um about Roland Garros I always write like in Paris I'm like wait there's another tournament there's there. <laughs> in the Paris Grand Slam. <laughs> yeah. Right. Major rather because if you write Grand Slam people are gonna 
rip you apart <laughs> for using the wrong term, apparently. Um, so yeah, like uh, as a Grand Slam is a protein. In fact, uh, we had a really good week last week for Canadians. Uh, Felix Ogiel-Yassim and then Shapovalov um, double-handedly or for Shapo single-handedly, backhandedly uh, won the ATP Cup for Canada. And I watched most of their their matches um if not all of them um so it was really fun to watch um did you guys catch a little bit of that yeah i i caught bits and pieces um i'll start with chapeau chapeau was uh i mean there was so much uncertainty surrounding team canada right because um chapeau obviously he had tested positive for covid and you know he hadn't got much training and practice time in and those are the two stars of the team felix and dennis And, um, you know, Dennis came out a very tricky first round opponent, right? Against Dan Evans, you know, somebody who's a foil for a lot of top players and, you know, definitely no shame in losing that one. But then he had three excellent victories in the singles, I thought, you know, beating Struff, who's a player that he's, you know, sort of had his, Struff has had his number against him and they've, uh, they've had some close matches, but they haven't gone Chapo's base. So for Chapo to come through that one in three sets, I thought was, uh, was pretty impressive. And he played some bold tennis, some courageous tennis on big points. And then he, Uh, see, he had a really great win against Safi Ulin in the semifinals, uh, where there was a, quite a bit of pressure on Team Canada. And I actually remember watching that third set, and I watched him save those six break points, mm. um, serving at one-two in the third set. That was just um, incredible, courageous tennis by him. And because he was he was on the verge of sort of letting that match slip from his fingers, because he'd done so well to get to get himself to that point, and then for him to close that one out. And then the win, the win that was the most impressive was in the final. Uh, against PCB, you know, a player who's going to make you work and is not going to give you much. And um, I think their head-to-head going into that one, uh, PCB had a 4-1 head-to-head. Um, and so that was really, really impressive. And, and PCB came back at him in the second set and he fought and Chapeau just had all the goods. It was such a great match from him, like just start to finish. Really mm-hmm. was one of the best performances I've seen from Chapeau in a big match, particularly in a final or semi. So, yeah, saved eight of nine break points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I was I was very impressed with Chapo sort of um, in those last three matches that he played. What, what did you guys think about him? I mean, yeah, like um, Andre is going to be the authority on this. I um, I honestly didn't get to see too much of him, but I did watch highlights of the match against PCB. I was really impressed because you know PCB doesn't give anything for free. He had a big win over Chapo at the U.S. Open. Um, can't remember if it was it was twenty nineteen. I think um, twenty twenty. Ah, twenty twenty. Okay. It was five yeah, and, yeah. And, and that was a match that Chapo really could have won because I think he won the fourth set in a bagel and PCB mm-hmm. came back at him in the fifth. Uh, and it seems like since then, um, Chapo has matured. Um, he's learned how to kind of navigate the ups and downs of a match better. Um, and I think that really showed in his big point play. Um, it, was, it was closer than the score, 6-4, 6-3. But um, yeah, I thought Chapo played a terrific match from the highlights. He looks pretty patient in the rallies while still maintaining that attacking mindset, which I think is the perfect balance for him. What do you think, Andre? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest uh, points of development for Chapo was ne- necessarily he was being aggressive, but he was not like highlight real aggressive all the time. You know what I mean? He was mm-hmm. he 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 shot he played some shots that were like really hard um, hitting tennis, but they were like on big targets. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily backing down, staying close to the line, just like, using the backhand, necessarily just trying to like rip like those backhand winners down the line. But he was also like hitting just powerful backhand cross-court winners after building up a point um, using his forehand most of the time. And he was hitting like nice big targets and going cross-court is mostly like a good bet because 
um it's like a lower part of the net and you just have like a little bit like longer like a like a trajectory where the ball can go back inside of the court and he was just hitting them very very nicely against Dan Evans you could see that he was trying but he was just getting a little frustrated and to be honest major props for him for not getting overly frustrated in that match because probably knew like man I'm I'm not really doing good right now but that's also because of covid and the fact that he couldn't even practice before um of that match really so he really got it going and I am excited to see like how he does like next against uh, um other players as well and being in the pressure situation like uh Safiulin and against the uh, PCB I think it really shows that he can probably do this like on Grand Slams again. Like I feel like this Chapo could have taken that first set off of Djokovic and, and yep. Wimbledon. Yeah. And maybe even like a, the second if he played like even better than that. Because we we all agree that Djokovic was not at his hundred percent best and at Wimbledon he just managed to win <laughs> because it's Djokovic. But yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. And uh I, I thought Felix was also really impressive. Like I was watching the highlights of his match against Batista Agut in the final. I was kind of amazed at what I was seeing. Like the first set was 85 minutes. It was kind of back and forth. These really long rallies. We know how much, how consistent RBA is. And, um, and Felix came through that and then ended up winning the second set sort of going away. He saved 10 of 11 break points, which means across the two matches with Chapo and Felix, they saved, I think 18 of 20 break points in total. That's outstanding. Um, I think they both really managed to peak and um, considering the pressure of playing with, you know, other players on your shoulders for your country, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just one thing I'd like to say about Chapo um, yeah. that I don't think I mentioned is that, you know, his peak level is scary, scary good. Like, I mean, I, I think he has the potential to be such a frightening player. I mean, obviously we can all agree, like this is the best he's played since Wimbledon. I mean, mm-hmm. I also think, you know, he finished the year actually strong in his last tournament in Stockholm. Uh, where he almost won the title. He was really close against Tommy Paul in that right. uh, Stockholm final. And, he, you know, Tommy Paul like played brilliantly in the last three games and took it away from him. I don't think Dennis actually lost that match, but, which, you know, sometimes he, he kind of has a tendency sometimes to sort of beat himself because he goes for such, you know, such really big, bold shots. And so I think for him, it's just about like staying calm also mentally and then also just, you know, constructing the points, like you were saying, Andre, you know, with this cross-court patterns and just sort of waiting for the right ball to attack. And I think he does, once he can figure out the pattern of constructing, you know, points with the reliable play, plays, because his, back, for example, like his backhand in a rally can inject, he can inject quite a bit of offense and he can hit mm-hmm. ridiculous angles, especially cross-court mm-hmm. with it. And he, his wide serve is such a can-opening serve because it, you know, it, it pushes the opponent so far off the court and then he just has a really nice sort of one-two combination and then he's comfortable coming forward and, you know, you know, maybe not always the best fall year, but like when he gets up there and he, he always goes after it and he has the intent. So mm-hmm. I feel like, and, you know, we've seen him against really big players sort of come close, but not, not quite do it. And, you know, this week, uh, you know, when he was down, I feel like a lot of those matches, like especially the Safiola match, I think that was a match he would have lost second half of last year. So that was, that was really impressive for me. And the other thing about Felix that really impressed me is that he played three guys uh, in the top 20 um, this this week. And then all three of those guys are consistent baseliners who don't miss much. Um, like he played Cameron Norrie, he played Batista Agut in the final, he played Zverev. And all three of those matches, all of the rallies that went over nine plus shots, I mean, he was dictating, he was outlasting his opponents, like in these long, long exchanges. And you don't normally, you know, associate, sometimes the criticism for Felix is sometimes like a shot selection or sometimes just, 
you know, kind of gets a little impatient, pulls the trigger a little bit too early. But I feel like he was really playing a sort of measured uh, offense this week. And he was really like, um, uh, the heaviness of his shots really came through, especially against Nori and against R- R- RBA. I mean, he had to mm-hmm. hit like, I think I saw a tweet from Gil Gross that he had to hit like, it felt like 60,000 forehands to sort of break him, to sort of break RBA down because he's so consistent from the baseline and he doesn't miss, doesn't miss at all. And even the loss that he had against Fritz, I thought was very encouraging because Fritz is playing like a top 20 player right now. And that was the first match of the year against, um, against a guy who's been pretty hot since the US Open. And he lost that in three sets. And, you know, even the match against Medvedev, it was quite close for a while. And then mm. Medvedev sort of ran away with it. But it was a really, really encouraging week for Felix. Mm. And he's now up yeah. to nine in yeah. the world. And he's, for me, he was the, probably the standout MVP, like of this mm. week. And I feel, I, I find it hard to believe that this won't be like a, a, a big step forward for him just mm. in terms of his career. I feel like the, the first title mm. is coming really soon. It's, mm. yeah. yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think um something he can maybe work on is, um, against like the best players, maybe not fading towards the end of the match like he did against Medvedev. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, really, like the next step for him is getting a really big breakout win. Like, I don't think he needs to win a title to prove that he's a great player. Like he's, like we've been saying, he's nine in the world. His his game has been firing on all cylinders. He's got a very high ceiling. He's been going deep in majors. I think all that's, like what's next for him really is to beat a top three player in like a late round of a major. And then that's going to be his big breakthrough. Because he's kind of done everything else besides that. Like, I don't think a title is necessary to solidify his confidence at this point. Yeah. He's in a good position against Zverev, right? Because he's a top yeah. 10 player. Yeah. So that means that Zverev's going to lose to him <laughs> in a major. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah he, the win against Zverev at Wimbledon was huge yeah. for him. You know, because yeah, until then, he hadn't, he hadn't had sort of a top 10 win. And then making yeah. the semis of the, of the US Open. I mean, that match against Tiafo. I mean, he had to, yeah. he, he's really coming through now in like big moments, like in big spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, that um, yeah. Th- that match against Tiafo was really similar to the one he played against Berrettini at Wimbledon, where you know they split sets, and then the third was really tight. And at Wimbledon, he lost that match, and then at the U.S. Open, he won it. Um, that was really impressive to see. Um, so yeah, I think I think he's been on a pretty steady improvement curve, and I think it's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, think this I is... also just realized yeah. uh, one more thing. Yeah, this, actually, this is not quite that important, but I realized like in the, the, it was Spain versus Canada in the. Davis Cup final, right in 2019. Yeah, and I remember, um, I remember he had lost that match to RBA, and that was a, a tight first set, and then he sort of almost went away, like sort of in the second set, and was like decisive for RBA, like seven six six three, and this time it was exactly flipped, the other yeah. way around, and yeah. so that shows kind of shows the progress, like full yeah. circle for Felix in the last couple yeah. of years. Just something I wanted yeah. to point out. Yeah, I think this is this just really classic Felix in the sense, like it just very consistently progressing like he's in a very steady like upwards curve like because in in uh it, at some point like during the stream i was i was getting kind of upset because i was a guy who was really trying to talk about like how felix isn't he's like 21 he should be like winning majors by now and whatever and there was a guy who's like yeah but like he's, he's still very young like there's a lot of a lot of things to learn and he was talking about his shot selection which yes can be iffy at times but like this week it probably happened like one or two times at best um maybe in the end of the the match uh at the second set against Zverev, that's kind of like where he he kind of reverted a little bit backwards but like he kind of picked himself up and won the match but then like he was the commentator was comparing him to nadal winning Roland Garros at 18 years old i was like man you don't just compare people to Nadal unless they're named Federer and Djokovic. Like it's, it's just not a thing that you do. It's like, come on, like pick a, pick a better player to do that comparison. Let's compare him to, I don't know, even 
his own compatriot like Shapovalov or um, you can even compare him to like maybe Zverev or Medvedev or like closer mm-hmm. to like what he is like obviously Zverev has won a couple big titles already but um, Medvedev took took him a while to actually like click yeah um, yeah took him a, took him a long time and for a lot yeah. of the time you know he wasn't even hyped I, I remember you know there were other guys yeah. sort of ahead of him like Zverev and Tsitsipas who were more hyped than him mm-hmm. yeah. and then, you know, he eventually he made his breakthrough and he's like what 25 now and he's finally won a major like 25 yeah. and a half yeah. and, like like yeah. for a 21 year old Felix is 21 I mean yeah. Chapo is only 22 and sometimes it's so easy to forget because they broke through when they were so young yeah. like Chapo yeah. with his breakthrough in 2017 I mean he mm-hmm. was just he was just a teenager he's like, a baby even, yeah yeah and so, like, and to make eight finals, you know, and on all three surfaces at a 500, 250 level, he's now made like quarters, semis, and majors. Like, he's been consistent there. And, like, yeah. you know, he, like, not many teenagers have done that, even like, like, even, even Roger Federer, right? Like, after he yeah. beat Pete Sampras in the 2001 Wimbledon. Yeah, it took him another two years. Yeah, it didn't really do much after that. Yeah. I don't so think like, he even won a title in 2001, right? It was in 2002 only beginning right i mean i mean 2002 he wins a masters and he finishes in the top 10 but like yeah i mean it took him two full solid two years of yeah 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 i mean the the reality is on the atp 25 is the new 20 like players are not breaking out in their late teens or early 20s anymore because you have these legends hanging around it takes time to get physically fit enough to dominate in best of five um and maybe that'll change when you know djokovic and uh, Djokovic finally ages out and we revert to more mortal champions but for right now at least like it's it's just not happening you need an yeah. immense amount of talent and an immense amount of endurance to break through really young and so I think everyone needs to sort of readjust their expectations and make new comparisons because um, you know like with Medvedev and team who are the most recent non big three guys to win a major in this era both happened for them very late uh, kind of like you alluded to Vonch like yeah. Medvedev Medvedev was around for a while before he started to do amazing things. Kind of same thing for team. I think people were maybe taking note of him as early as 2014, but like, what did he do that year? Nothing. Like even in 2016, when he made his first major semifinal, he lost to Djokovic really comfortably. It was a couple of years after that before he started to actually feel like a threat to win majors. So I think with these guys, the right thing to do is give them time because they are improving, but it just takes a lot to finally get to the level you need to be at to win a major. And for, for Felix specifically, like game wise this week, I think one of the things that improved immensely for him, because the forehand has always been really a strength in his game. The serve has been good, uh, hasn't been double faulting much, uh, which is very, very encouraging. Um, he was capable of like using different sorts of paces as well in his second serve. Um, but his backhand was just solid. Like, and I I don't normally I didn't normally see much of his backhand. Like last year, I thought his slice backhand was better than his topspin one. Um, but this year, like I feel like he's definitely used the angles so much better. He wasn't going down the line with the backhand, which he used to do a few times, which was a little um, kind of like a barometer of like where his confidence and not um, is during a match. Because if he starts going too much too soon of the backhand side, like then you know, like oh yeah, you got it, like. You got him. Uh, that's how Evans actually beat him in Melbourne final. Like you could see that Felix was just going for the back end down the line, wasn't working, was missing. Uh, but this year he's just was um, he, he just kept going uh, with the rallies. He just kept extending it. Like he wasn't he didn't get his shot he wanted. He kept going. He kept like pushing, and and finally he got the forehand or like got a good backhand that he needed or. A drop shot, which was really good. Like his shot selection was great, and specifically against Zverev, 
and I, I am pretty sure that this is 100% uh, Tony Nadal's influence in his game. Loopy backhands were abundant in that match. And I was like, what is happening? Am I watching like, this is like Nadal came in, like was coaching uh, Felix at that moment. It's like just neutralizing Zverev serve, like with a high backhand, like when he was serving to the backhand, just going straight down the middle, like a no pace, this loopy backhand. And that's it. That rally starts now. And that, that was it. Like no serve um, advantage for Zverev. And that was really just great to see. It's like, just the on-court awareness and just the pace awareness of like, you know, like what to do, like how to actually play a shot, um, which is not going to be a winner, but it's going to put you in a better position in a rally, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's really good analysis, actually. And, yeah. and you know what I think is that he has such a heavy ball, like on the forehand, that he can get so many short balls. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like he's a player who who gets, who perfectly understands like with with his depth and with his like pace, he can easily sort of get easy put away balls you know and sometimes he's prone to sort of spraying the forehand or you know sort of going sort of with the finishing shot sometimes he can make some some unforced errors but i feel like with time that's only going to get better Mm -hmm. and like you like you mentioned like his return of serve was really impressive to me like i feel like he's really improved that shot and he's getting to neutral off the server like much more frequently in the the backhand like i've seen him now mix in the slice and the topspin and he's really like it's a solid like rally cross-court ball now and he's he, he wasn't going down the line you're right like very often with it but i feel like like he could he could really use that as a nice shield like in this game because he's such a good athlete and he moves so so well around the backhand when he's attacking and hitting inside mm-hmm. inside out forehand inside in forehand like you know i've seen him practice once at indian worlds and just the sound that was coming off his bracket when he was hitting those inside out forehands and inside in forehands like it's a different type of sound like to most players like on the tour like you, you really feel the weight of his shot and i feel mm-hmm. like yeah he could and, you know, even at the net, like, he's gotten a little bit better, I feel like, at taking balls in the air, you know, like, swing volleys, like, put-away shots. He's definitely sort of improving slowly in every department. Like, I, I was watching, listening to the um, commentary on tennis TV, and Jim Career really pointed out that he he believes, like, like when he was playing against Medvedev, like, Medvedev has sort of, like, reached his, you know, pretty much 95 or 100% of yeah. his best level. You know, he's pretty much in his prime right now. Whereas Felix, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, he's, he, he mentioned like he's, he thinks he's at around 60 or 70%. And if he's at somebody like Jim Courier is saying that who's won four majors and, you know, who's been through it all in the game, then that's really encouraging because I feel like he's going to make that progress. And for Tony Nadal to come on board, I mean, that's a really good sign right away because Tony, mm-hmm. Tony Nadal does not need to be coaching anybody right now. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that for sure. So that means he really sees uh, Felix's work ethic and his professionalism. And I think, just comes through like a like he's just progressing in every right direction he's checking every box basically uh, in terms of development like steady progress yeah 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 don't have much to add to that yeah um, no, i feel like, yeah. go ahead yeah um I, I was gonna say even though um you know russia didn't end up winning the acp cup i thought medvedev was kind of typically impressive like he had a weird loss in his first match to um ugo umber where he was um he probably should have won i think he was up a set in a break and a few yeah. times he was two points away from winning the match. But after that, he had a really, really close match with Berrettini, where um, after kind of getting destroyed in the first set, Berrettini won a tie break in the second, and then um, kind of kept the third set close as well. And then Medvedev had that impressive win over Jose Aliasim. And I think, I mean, I still think like he's one of the most difficult matchups on tour for anyone right now. He may he may be the best rallier in the world, like the the best long rallier in the world. Um, and like Vance was just saying, I think 
uh, that Jim Courier said, like he's he's at his peak, like his game is fully mature. And so I think anything besides a title at the Australian Open for him is going to be a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I think. Yeah. And in and, and that in that note, like we always come back to the same point, like what is the ATP Cup after all? Like what, right. what does what it does matter? It yeah, I mean, it's not a full title for Felix. We were talking a little bit before we started this episode. I think Bunch said is like half a title for him which is pretty much literally halfway there for him to actually win like his own singles title trophy. Um, and even if it doesn't really mean anything in the tennis world, like as in like, does it matter in terms of your achievements? Is Roger Federer going to like look himself in night? Let's say like, man, I didn't win the ATP cup. I could pass of like a gold, <laughs> gold medal in the Olympics, but I wish I had one. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to happen. Right. It's going to be like, yeah, whatever. Like, and even the things that people say, like, oh yeah, Canada won his first ATP Cup in history. Yeah, it was the third <laughs> tournament of this kind ever happened to ever happen. I mean, right? There isn't much history to be talking about here, but the players care about it, and I think this is important for them. Like, you could see how much they wanted to win. You could see how much Medvedev wanted to win it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be playing this. Um, and Rublev and I think Karatsev also were supposed to be there. So they also got COVID, so they couldn't participate because they had to quarantine or anything like that. Anyway, complications made it so that they couldn't participate. Um, And I think it also happened for Spain, but I'm not quite sure about it anyways. But players care about it, and because they do, they perform well, and it means that they see and feel the pressure. So those victories that Felix and Chapo had, they were important for them they were not like yep. just exhibition victories so for example i would say that chapel beating pcb means more than chapel being beating nadal in mubadala like in, yeah end of last year so for sure for sure 100 and, and the thing is that you get points at the atp cup depending on the rank of the player that you beat and i think you know some of the things like about the atp cup that i've heard that i you know that have some validity i feel like it's so soon after the davis cup Mm-hmm. So it's sort of an interesting way to open the year. Like, you know, I definitely like some things about it. Like I like the spirit that the players, are, you know, obviously have the camaraderie, the the doubles, you know, suddenly becomes really important, obviously with the, uh, with the one all uh, when that happens and the, the coaches and the, just the whole vibe of it, like with the crowds, uh, I, I feel like some areas that could get better is maybe like you could hear a little bit, some, some more, if you could hear a little bit more of the coaching interaction and like just the more of, uh, you know, just more visuals, like visually I feel like it could do a little bit of a better job and then you know some other things are like you always have the number one and number one versus two and number two so sometimes if you have like a withdrawal on an unfortunate situation like you were mentioning Andre with the like you know COVID or like for example Russia right like they have Safi Yulin I mean Safi Yulin is a decent like challenger level player but then you have other players from other countries where their number two is like you know some person that you haven't heard of or their number two or number three or number four and those are sort of at the futures or lower tier itf level so you could have a match between like a high stakes match you know between cc fossil's cousin thanos against camille mazurak or you know some some guys that like they're really getting a big shot at such a big stage mm-hmm. whereas you know somebody like hachinov for example who's a top 30 player is sort of robbed of that opportunity you know what yeah. i mean I, so i feel like that's um, that's one situation but i feel like they could take the average rank of all the players and sort of like figure out a way to make this a little bit more even mm. like ranking mm. wise so you don't yeah. have like polarizing type ranking <laughs> matchups yeah. i i think something that could be fun is if uh, they said to the teams like 
you know, there's a there's a first slot and the second slot. You decide who goes where. And that way, if you have a great player and a bad player, like bad relatively speaking, of course, um, you right. can put your worst player in the top spot, throw that match, and then put your better player against the second player from the other team and try to split them and then let it all ride on the doubles. Because if you're like if you're Greece, let's say, going up against um, Russia, then you have to put Tsitsipas against Medvedev, knowing he's probably going to lose anyway. But like, if you have the freedom to mix up the spots, you can put someone way worse against Medvedev. You get the same result, still going to lose. And then you can put Tsitsipas, your better player, against someone who he has a better chance of feeding. And I feel like mm-hmm. that could introduce a fun, like, tactical behind-the-scenes element. I do understand yeah. why it is the way it is, because like for the fans, it might not be that fun to watch, like the world number two beat up on the world number 1,000. But mm-hmm. like I don't know, it could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, Medvedev beat Felix 646-Love, so it's not like, and Felix is now number nine, so it's not like um, the right. fans got too much out of their buck for that match, so, you know, yeah. the first yeah. first eight games sure. were pretty close and good, but, you know, after okay. that, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really mean much, but, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say about that, I just, I like the vibe of the ATP Cup, not sure if it's just because it's on the Australian courts, which I find a beautiful i feel like that, the, the paint, they're my painting favorite job course. is amazing. They're one of my favorites yeah. that yeah. Th- that shade of blue is so yeah. bright it's amazing. and just the, the the stadiums the architecture of them are just beautiful from the inside and i love i love the the team um little booth that they have like where they can just like talk to the, the coaches i think it's just really fantastic mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i agree i mean i think the tournament does a lot of things well and Andre, I think it was a great point that a tournament kind of needs history to become prestigious. Like it's not by coincidence that Wimbledon is still considered like the biggest tournament in the world. It's the oldest. Um, but I think the problem the ATP Cup has is like it's so soon after the Davis Cup that like even if the players aren't necessarily burned out, like I mean, every team that doesn't win, I can see wanting another shot at winning a team competition. Yeah. But for the fans, if you've just watched a team thing and you immediately start the year with another team thing, like I think interest could be much higher if they just axed one of those competitions or if they did a better job of spreading them out mm-hmm. i feel like a, a good solution would be like win the atp cup you got a free spot in the finals of the davis cup so that way mm-hmm. it means that like the davis yeah. cup is actually the most important tournament <laughs> and mm-hmm. then the atp cup actually allows you to boost your chances so like but yeah only that, for that, the that's brilliant year. actually because it combines them without the need to get rid of one yeah, or the exactly. other and the, but they can still work in concert yeah that that's amazing S- send that in um so <laughs> i i don't know who the spokesperson for the ACP. i mean it's yeah. probably impossible to get them to do anything right but you know yeah yeah i mean there is much more important things but i feel like they would be down to listen to people talking about tennis stuff there would be something for yeah. them to focus on that is not like political <laughs> yeah no i mean th- that is like genuinely the best solution i've heard to the team thing though because mm-hmm. i think my issue is like I, like i wouldn't really care which one they got rid of but I, mean, I think a lot of people would rightfully say like, you know, Davis cup has been around for like what 150 years or something crazy like that. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to get rid of that in favor of like a really new tournament. But like mm-hmm. you said, combining them while maintaining the fact that Davis cup is bigger would be great. Yeah. yeah. There were also a few other players where I feel like they really play well this time of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's just so great to see them like have good results. Like for example, Alex Dibonor, you know, oh, yeah. the way he sort of plays like January. I feel like he just peaks during this time of the year. And, uh, like like he's won Sydney before he's won two fifties like before the Australian Open and then at the ATP Cup like he's played some really good matches I remember the one against Rafa oh, in twenty yeah, twenty the Delvo forehands for a set and a half right and then he beat uh, he beat Berrettini this week which was a really good win like for right. him it was some of the best tennis I've I've seen him play and he was struggling like a lot last year 
second half of the year. I think he only won like one or two matches, um, like consecutively at one point. So like, to for a player like that, I feel like this is such a uh, such a good uh, way to get started in the year. Like especially because he has the home crowd support and he can mm-hmm. he can show what he's made of. Like it's a perfect sort of format for him to show to showcase it. And then same thing with um, Batista Good. Like he's he's someone who's like he played a really good match against Hercatch uh, this week, which was like seven six in the third. Mm-hmm. Um, from Team Spain, and he's he he pretty much won all his matches uh, except for the one in the final against Felix. So he he's somebody who's who's done pretty well. Like this time of the year, like he's won four titles, like all in January and February, and he's always peaked. Like I remember when he beat Djokovic in 2019 in Doha, mm-hmm. you know, and then won right. the title there. And he's he, he's someone who sort of like backed it up at the Australian Open too, right? Like he made the quarterfinals. Um, in 2019. Yeah, and, and that was a close match against TT Pass as well. I think it, it could have been closer right. as well. Mm-hmm. So for him, and he's sort of like towards the end of his career now, like 33, 34. So he doesn't probably doesn't have as much time left, but this is sort of a good month for him to showcase what he's made of. I don't think anybody would want to play him sort of in the third, fourth round of the Australian mm-hmm. Open. Yeah, exactly. He's he's one of the few guys. Like he might not beat them, but he can at least play the Djokovic Medvedev game. Um, mm-hmm. stick around, yeah. like win a set, make it absolutely miserable for them before they win. Yeah. Um, and a lot of players can't even do that. So. Yeah, I feel like at this point in their careers, I feel like Djokovic would be more weary about seeing uh, RBA in his draw than Medvedev. <laughs> Just Medvedev would be like, I can probably like play like ten sets if needed <laughs> right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that match um, RVA and Djokovic played in Cincinnati in 2020. There was a stat that was like late in the third set that Batista Agut had hit like one backhand down the line in the match or something. Like he was hitting everything cross court and just like completely committing to the rallies. Like, I mean, the patience is remarkable and the willingness to suffer. Um, yeah. It's a yeah, shame he doesn't have, you know, like a bigger title to show for it. Yeah, it doesn't have a bigger weapon either. So that's probably one of the reasons. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the ATP Cup. Is there anything yeah. else? Um, I don't know. Go Canada. Let's see what happens next year. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, congratulations, Felix and, Andre. Felix and Dennis uh, can really make some progress in Australia as well. For uh, sure. Felix, um, you know, last year was, you know, everybody sort of, hit, you know, was critical of him after he lost from two sets to love against Karatsev. But, I mean, that's... That's pretty good because look, look at what Karatsev went on to do after that. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, Felix and Dennis played each other in Australia last year. Um, yeah, I mean, that was one of their better matches. Uh, yeah, Felix hit. Um, Felix hit like arguably the shot of the tournament. Um, um in my eyes, in that match, like Shafo kind of spiked an overhead into the open court, and Felix hit this forehand down the line pass while like running backwards. Um, he almost like walked into the advertising board uh, when he was celebrating. It was crazy. Yeah. I gotta go watch that again. I'm pretty sure I put that in a compilation, but then I, I forget now. Nice. Um, yeah, I'll, I didn't do a good job nice. describing it. I'll send the link. <laughs> it's just really nice to see like these two friends, sort of like in the same phase of their careers. You know, like this yeah. sort of they're doing it together. It's like uh-huh. they grew up in the juniors together. Like they've known each other like for years, and they're just sort of like if one is playing well, the other is trying to sort of match them or do better than them it's yeah, like, it's really it's fun. A, yeah it's, yeah, it, it, it's fun for now guys but wait until one of them beats the other in a major final from like two sets down and then the friendship will yeah, be forever wonder, destroyed would, yeah, it's gonna be like a very interesting like dynamic of like ri- rivalry if they end up being like consistently meeting in like big matches yeah it um i feel like it, it could be with like a 
Djokovic and uh, one of Federer and Nadal, where like you watch those compilations and you can see the handshakes getting progressively colder as like time <laughs> goes on. <laughs> I feel like I feel like, and and, and that's like a maybe a nod for uh, the master, the book that I just finished, and yeah. but like it's in maturity also would come if like Federer and Nadal probably got a little bit warmer in their handshakes later in their careers because they probably realized, man, we're we're old, but we're here fighting yeah. still. <laughs> Right. But yeah. I think the first time I actually watched them play doubles was against Djokovic and Anderson after they just played the Wimbledon final. I think this oh, was in yeah. 2018. Uh Rogers Cup, right? Rogers Cup, right. That I, was I, I was actually um I was actually at a match where uh Djokovic and Anderson played doubles. I only saw a few points and I lost, but I was there. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, wow, these two are some people to watch out for. Yeah. Definitely. And they'd already sort of made their name by then. Mm. But, would be yeah. kind of interesting. Somebody who's made his name, Nadal. though. Somebody <laughs> who's made his name is indeed Nadal, right? Winning another title. Yeah. Uh, last week. It's true. 89th of his career. And, yep. you know, after a long layoff, time off, uh, you know, so what do we what do we think about his, uh, you know, sort of his form and how did he look last week? Like, he played three three matches, you know, against, yeah. so, you know, yeah. did opposition, he drop a set? Clearly, opposition no, was, clearly he didn't drop a set. Than, yeah. yeah. Um. I yeah, mean, I wasn't. Did against he had some freaking moments in all three matches. Yeah. Right? Against. Brandis, yeah. He was. Um. He served it, for the match and then got caught. Yeah, and then same thing Twice happened seven. against Rusevori. Um. And um. And against Cressy, first set he was down. Set Cressy served at six five in the tiebreak. Um. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't that impressed with like you know the the path to the title. I think um it's like no one inside the top. 50 or 70 yeah, or 90 or something like that but um i mean i was impressed because i i honestly didn't expect nadal to win the title um i think like coming off from a layoff playing on hard courts mm. sometimes he um takes some time to find his form and i mean it was it was patchy a lot of the time but he also had a couple of points where um like you know he looks he looks like his old self i think um the next to last point against rusevori he um he played this brilliant point where he kind of defended for a while and then um then like slowly started to open up the court and like one time in the rally got time on a forehand and um and then like ripped it inside in and Rusevori was leaning the other way that felt very vintage um I think but I think the best sign is that there was no apparent issues with his movement the foot seemed fine so um that's a Mm. big green light for Australia or the Australian Open because he's actually he's actually playing on Rod Laver uh which was weird to get used to but sorry oh yeah that was (laughs) Yeah, some some fans were sort of just joking. This is his second Australian Open. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was it was kind of interesting because you know obviously Nadal, the last couple of years has sort of sometimes struggled to put away matches like in big moments. Yeah, you know on on a hard court especially. So like that'll be something just to watch watch for I think as he as he just gets older and does this for as long as his body can you know cope with it. Mm-hmm. But like he, you're right. Like it was patchy at some po- some points, and some at some points his forehand wasn't working like as well as it normally does, which is like the key for his baseline aggression. And a few times, like the serve, you know, a little bit up and down, and sort of, you know, tentative in some spots. And the first set against uh, Cressy, he could have he could have lost it. Cressy had a set point, yeah, and was up a break in the second set as well. But then Nadal mm-hmm. played like this vintage game to break back, where he hit three winners, uh, three return winners. Yeah, and they're they're all off the forehand, all down the line, all from the ad side. And like, um, so, sorry, like I've actually been thinking a lot about this because I'm like, it's so unlikely that that stretch of play would happen, right? Like, what are the odds that Cressy serves to the ad side for a, 
a third time in a row after he's been burnt twice. And what are the odds that Nadal guesses that? Because I feel like you would like obviously be expecting a serve to the backhand after you've just hit two good forehand returns. Um, so I'm like, I've been like weirdly thinking about these permutations where I'm like, was Cressy smart to like try to trick him by going to the same place? Like, obviously not because it didn't work, but I feel like it would have worked in a lot of situations. True. Anyway, sorry, that's just a bit of a tangent. Um, yeah, but that was, a, that was a, a fun bit. It's an interesting thought, right? Like if you serve twice to the same spot and then it doesn't work, like mm-hmm. should you play on the other side? Like as in like, are the chances better if you play like down the middle? Like if you play like at and it didn't work? Like, I mean... In a sense, maybe because like you're playing like on a different shot and mm-hmm. you're changing up tactics a little bit. Maybe Nadal will be a little bit more like comfortable like going there. Um, I think also Nadal is not really the type that constantly just guesses the serve. Like as in he does not like. Uh, I think he's kind of on in between like guessing and reacting. So yeah, like, uh, yeah. I mean, standing far so far back lets him yeah. kind of lean either way. Yeah, but at the same time, like it, it would be interesting. Like Nadal definitely like thinking maybe two steps ahead of like maybe he's gonna serve like on the ad side now and back to uh the what do i think about this this title i think on clay if you if it wasn't clay like he had this exact same path to the title i'd be like hmm, that's that's iffy i'm not sure he's gonna make it but like on on hard course i feel like a match is a match for nadal like as in he's not it's not his bestest surface like um he's uh past his prime by by some margin now i would say um, especially on this surface. So I think for him to get used to it is more important than just getting physically in shape. He's, he's, he's probably in, in shape now that he took some time off last year. Um, and I think he just needed to get match fit. And I think this is really important for him to actually feel the court and like um, measure like how he's going to hit his forehand, like how much time he has to, to hit, uh, how he's going to hit his serves. Um, and I think he got... He got a good amount of um, match quality for himself. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. too hard, but he wasn't too difficult, too too easy either. So like yeah. he got he got to play some pressure points when he was down set points and um, down breaks. So I think it's, he's gonna he's gonna look at this as a as a huge positive for him to to Australia, which is still a long shot. Like if he doesn't, even if Djokovic doesn't go, he would still probably have to get past uh, Medvedev and. Mr. World Number Three German guy, but uh, whose name I've already said many, many times in this podcast. But uh, apologies. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But in any case, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. these these so. sort of opponents were sort of the caliber of player he had faced in the first or second round. Yeah, exactly. Of a major, so I think. Yeah. You know, I think this gives him like more confidence, especially like in a best of five set match. I think mm-hmm. he'll be able to trust his body to at least get through those early rounds because he's just still that much better than everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the, the real big hurdles will sort of come in the quarters uh, mm-hmm. onwards. But the other thing to remember is like just how difficult this road is. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And for Rafa for the last six months, I think really like after he, after that loss to Djokovic and Paris, and Rubino in the fourth set, he was struggling quite a bit with his yeah. foot and then took those two months off. I think he really, his game was really not where it needed to be in Washington physically. Like when he came back and he played those two matches against um, Jack Sock and Lloyd Harris mm. um, and then just like he, he had to take the rest of the year off and for two or three months he just wasn't able to train and he was he was having to like this has been a chronic problem in his foot right since 2005 yep. and just the, the older you get you know he's going to be 36 in June just you know in some ways it's good because it's like an injury he's had before and he can he sort of knows how to manage it but it's also just getting harder and harder to recover and keep on coming back. And it just shows like what a fighter he is, you know, that he just keeps on doing this time and time again and actually coming back and winning, you know, mm-hmm. not just coming back and just, you know, being at the top. Like he still finished the year last year in the top 10 and he still finished at world number six. So like, yeah. you know, for him, he's, and, and I would say like he, he on a hard court, he is sort of right behind the Medvedev and Zverev like crop. So like you yeah. will have to get through, you know, probably one of those, uh, mm. you know, on his way. But mm. yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, this, is this a good time for you to to uh, to plug your article, Owen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah. I was gonna say I I wrote like forty five hundred words on Nadal in the Australian Open. I was like, um, before bed one night, I was kind of scribbling some stuff in a notebook, and then like it turned off my light. And I think like ten to fifteen times I thought of like a new thing I wanted to say, and I had to like get back <laughs> off and write that down. Um, but anyway, like. It's still it's still so weird to project Nadal's chances at the Australian Open because like I mean we know if he plays Djokovic he won't win like th- that's mm-hmm. a given um but like besides that I can't really figure out I'm like can he get past the quarterfinals or is there like a faint chance that he could win because I think you know Medvedev and Zverev he'd be a solid underdog in those matches but I think under the right circumstances it is possible that he could win them um mm-hmm. yep. then there's the factor of like. I mean, he might have gotten some match practice on hard court, but he hasn't gotten match practice against like really, really high ranked informed players on hard court. Um, you know, best of five, how, how is his body going to hold up? Um, so I think like Vaughn said, he's, he's good enough that I don't see him losing to anyone in the first two or three rounds. But mm-hmm. after that, I think it's really, really hard to predict. Um, so he's one of the players that I'm most excited to watch just because like he's got a long, long history with the Australian Open and I really have no idea how it's going to go this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. guys think he could beat Medvedev if they meet in a final, for example, or semi? Because like he could get he could get lucky like Federer did, and and uh, well, lucky in 2017 and 18, where like his four top ten players, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and his main <laughs> position was not necessarily there. Like Djokovic wasn't playing, right. um, and Medvedev was still not the player that he is, and so wasn't yeah. team. Um, he did have to get past Nadal, which was well. A yeah. challenge in itself, like for Federer, which just seems like more, even more sur- sur- unsurmountable mm-hmm. than, um, you know, yeah, at, that, right. at the moment. I mean, but at the same time, like, he sort of had, because he yeah. sort of had Djokovic and Murray uh, yeah. injured. They, they lost in like the first round or they didn't play or something right. like that. Yeah. So yeah. his main sort of rivals at that time were like, you know, Wabrinka, Nishikori, Del Potro, mm-hmm. yeah, Rafa, exactly. Rafa. But yeah, like, yeah. Could, could Nadal beat Medvedev? Because 
It's a good question. It's a yeah. it's a, it's I think, a tough. I, I, think I think it's a, a tough f- matchup, really. Yeah, I mean, I think in a final, Nadal would have the best chance because he could just mm. go in with a mindset like, "I'll play this like it's the last match of my life," and just yeah. go for every forehand. And and I think like in a semi, um, the mindset is a little bit different because you still have one more match, and you you know you're you're going to be less inclined to get drawn into a marathon. Um, like th- this matchup still intrigues me because the head to head is three and one for Nadal, but he hasn't beaten Medvedev for over two years now. And and the last match they played, which Medvedev won at the world tour finals, even though Nadal served for a straight sets win in the end, it kind of felt like a really decisive win for Medvedev because he came back to win the second set. And then, won the third and like six, three, two breaks. And by the end, um, Nadal looked gassed. Um, and you know, that's going to be even tougher in best of five. So I think I, I would have Medvedev as a pretty heavy favorite, um, mm-hmm. in this matchup now, just because like, I, the defense I mean, and physicality, I feel like exactly like even yeah. as, as good as Nadal is at the net, it's still like, I mean, best of five, he would, he would have to win the match at the net, I think, or, yeah. or just was, like absolutely yeah. tee off successfully on his forehand for four hours. I think those are really big asks. By the yeah, way, you was, just reminded me yeah. how, how much I love that matchup because both guys oh, are yeah. anchors on the court and, yeah. run, and they both sort of have to win at the net because I remember, you know, especially in the US Open, the match yeah. was won at the net. Yeah, like the points, points aren't going to end otherwise. Like, yeah. Yeah. Then you had the World Tour yeah. Finals match in 2019 where Medvedev had that 5-1, 40-30 lead in the yeah. third set. So, so you're right, like it's 3-1, but it really it could be like 2-2 or, you know, 3-1 in Medvedev's yeah, favor. Exactly. Really I can imagine Nadal throwing in like a bunch of serve and volleys, like especially on ad side, like using his lighter to the backhand. Medvedev yeah. is so far away, like Nadal can just like hit you know, like a nice volley because yeah. he's he's a good volleyer, like obviously not best of all time, not a serve and volleyer at all, mm-hmm. but he could probably pull it off. Like I think, you know, and that's it, it would be like he would definitely have to win it in four. I would say probably. I think and, five you know, sets definitely technique. favors. That's definitely a tactic that Umber used really well against Medvedev because I feel yeah. like he could, he could rush him and he could also work the angles. Yeah, and he could, and he, and he was unpredictable and he could just, you know, inject a lot of pace or just go after the shots, finish at the net, like keep him sort of guessing. Yeah, uh, you know, bring him forward, like like all of these things just not give him enough rhythm. And especially, I think also the thing about Medvedev that it reemphasized for me is that I want to see Medvedev play a really close match in a major, like go to a fifth yeah. set. And just see how he responds because I feel like because he's so efficient and because he has such a good return return of serve and serve combination and he's a wall from the baseline and he's you know pretty much like you know a favorite to win the title like anything less like you Owen said would be sort of a disappointment mm-hmm. like you know how does he do when he's when he has to play back to back physical matches or because even yeah. in the umpire match I mean I'll give him a pass because it was sort of the first match of the season mm-hmm. and he didn't really quite have the longest off season because he played Davis Cup. And so I'm not going to really use that against him that much because, you know, I mean, that's just one match. He, he played really well the rest of the week. But like in a best of five set match, I want to see him like, like see, see how he sort of does physically because he can cramp sometimes. He can, uh, there's still sort of question marks there. And yeah. so if Nadal can sort of go to the trenches with him <laughs> many, yeah. many times, then it'll be fascinating. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, this is something I really want to see as well. Like, despite Medvedev having won a major last year, made the finals of both hardcourt majors, I feel like his signature match is still that US Open final loss to Nadal. Because, yeah. I mean, if you look at the matches he played at hardcourt majors last year, and you guys are free to crucify me for reducing his US Open final win to this, but like every all 13 of the matches he won um, mm-hmm. at hardcourt majors were all pretty easy wins against opponents who did not play that well. Like, there's not... 
there's not a signature win in there. Like he, I mean, at the Australian Open, I think Krajinovic maybe pushed him to five, but he was, was the one where his coach sort of left. Yeah, and his coach left, and then Medvedev bageled him in the fifth. Like there yeah. hasn't been a match where like both players have played extremely well. Yeah, like all, all last year at the Hardcourt Majors, that didn't happen. Like against Djokovic um, at the U.S. Open, Djokovic was you know not himself, and Medvedev won really easily. Um, and so like I, I think that's kind of why some people are yet to be totally convinced by Medvedev, even though. Like we've said, he's he's in his prime, maybe even at his peak. Uh, he's won a major, a bunch of other titles. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you, I I love the Medvedev Nadal matchup. So I think that could be that could be a great match if um mm-hmm. if they played in the quarters or the semis. And um, I think if Medvedev could win that in like a tight four or something, that could just be another step for his confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, and that's my last point about this. Uh, it's I feel like Medvedev. I'm convinced that he's by far and wide like the world number two like as in yeah. it could even be rivaling like for num- number one like i think he could even um do better this season on, on clay and grass he did pretty well on, on, on clay last year which is kind of against uh, all odds pretty much uh, mm-hmm. the french open in, yeah yeah he, he didn't start well on that clay season and finish pretty well except for the, the <laughs> The last serve that he did, but anyway. <laughs> he he won more matches at the French Open than he did in like all the lead up tournaments exactly. that season, which is crazy to think about. But I feel like he he could go down as either the best player of his generation or one of the best players in history. Like it's yeah, it's, it's up to like what happens next for him. Like is yeah. he is is he going to be tested enough? Is there going to be something? And even if he's not tested, if there's nobody there, he can actually compete with him. Is he mm-hmm. going to like reach Roger Federer levels of dominance in which he's going to win like 10 out of the last like 14 majors? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, um, we'll see, because I, I, I think his window is also, you know, not that big, like because, yeah. because he's going to be exactly. 26 and because you have, you know, you're hungry Canadians, you have Sinner, you have, <laughs> you have, you have even Alcaraz, Alcaraz. Yeah. Alcaraz. Yeah. Thinking, Alcaraz. Yeah. You know, and Tsitsipas, I mean, right now is not there, but and he's, you know, he still has a lot of things to work on, but he's two and a half years younger. And then so you, like, you know, the window isn't as big, I feel like, because mm-hmm. new generation is coming. And it's yeah. that's crazy to think, like, new generation's coming. I mean, this generation... Already. Is- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we've had new generations coming for the last 15 years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it is a really interesting question. I've, I've thought for a while that Medvedev had... The makings to be an all all time great player because I think if you look at his game, that is a package that any tennis player would kill to have. Um, like on hard courts right now, he should not be losing to anyone ever unless it's a peaking Novak Djokovic. Like that, yeah. th- that's it really. And you know, yeah. Djokovic is going to age out before Medvedev does. So maybe Medvedev can have a year or two where he just wins absolutely everything on hard courts. Um, but you know, it, it depends on him. He's prone to bouts of inconsistency um he can lose his focus so i mean if he can really corral that for a little bit and just let let his game fly um i think he can win a lot mm-hmm. like i think he can exceed what murray did um yeah won't necessarily be as impressive because murray had the big three in their younger days to contend yeah. with but yeah i think nice like save nice save otherwise uh, <laughs> murray musings are good friends are... <laughs> right they're not gonna want to do a podcast with us track. ever again um but yeah i mean i think like it's it's all out there for medvedev like his the limit to what he can accomplish is extremely high yeah yeah and just to talk about go ahead no i was just gonna say uh you know when we were bringing up medvedev and sort of his window and 
I was sort of thinking a little bit about the WTA and just looking at. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> looking at sort of Barty and Halep winning titles this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, as sort of a reminder, like, you know, how, how they sort of have that ability to like play one match in the tournament mm-hmm. where they're down and they're struggling and they're, they're about to lose. And then they just, they just find a way through that one match because they've been in major finals and they've been in big matches now. Mm-hmm. And then they and then they come through and they they win the title decisively in the end. I just thought that was really impressive from both of them this week. Yeah. Like Barty had that match against Coco Goff in the first round, where Goff was playing really well and Barty was mistiming the ball and not not finding her range at all. And she was down like six four. She lost the first set six four and she was down a break and break point for double break. And then she came back and then within thirty minutes that match had completely flipped around. And then the way she just decisively beat Kenan and Rubakina and. I mean, mm-hmm. Rubakina was the final, and uh, Shvantec in the yeah, semis. Yeah. Like these are good players, and she's yeah. now she's beating them convincingly, like in later rounds of tournaments. And she's doing it like at such a consistent rate when she's playing on the yeah. tour. Like yeah. since, this is her first time playing since the U.S. Open. And then same thing with like Simona Halep. You know, I've I've heard rumors like last year that she's like towards the end of her career, or she's you know sort of going in the direction of retirement. And well, she completely thwarted those rumors last week yeah. because I was watching her play like well, some of the highlights and then the, the match against Golubich, I think was like yes. the, the one match where like she wasn't she up like 6-2, 4-2 and then uh, then Golubich like made it really physical and they had some really great points and it sort of brought out the best in Halop at the very end. Yeah. And then she won it 6-4 in the third. And Yeah, th- 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 this I want to talk about for a while because I, um, I turned on my TV when they were at like 3-all in the third. And um. And immediately the tennis was so good. Like um, neither of them had, ne- well, neither of them have great serves and neither of them was serving that well. So that meant like every serve was coming back and every point was like a 10 plus shot rally. It was absolutely exhausting tennis. Um, and so you had both of them just trying to destroy backhands down the line. Okay. I mean, in the, in the four all game, Halif hit this kind of somehow slipped this backhands down the line past Golubich at net when she was like, by the Melbourne sign hit it when it was like six inches off the ground. And then she, um, and then she kind of played a similar point to break where Goliath kept hitting. Yeah. It it looks like she had been wrong footed like three different times. And she kind of like somehow managed to stop and lean to her left and hit this pass. And she celebrated that more emphatically than she celebrated in the entire 2018 Australian open, uh, which, which was wild to me. Um, I mean, and watching her on Rod Laver was, kind of a similar vibe to watching Nadal there because it was like she she as well has played so many crazy matches on that court um and not for very much reward either she doesn't have a title in uh in Australia well I mean technically she does now but not Mm. at the Australian Open um so yeah I mean I I love to watch her play as well um she's she defends so well always willing to take her backhands down the line um really aggressive but without a ton of easy power and I just find that tennis like really, really fun to watch. So um, she's another one I can't wait to see at the Australian Open. Yeah, I've loved sort of watching her over time too because she's like not a counterpunching type player. Like she really is. She's really also can play aggressive. Yeah, she's sort of gotten more aggressive as her career has gone on, and it's like a healthy and a healthy and fit help like back in the mix. Like yes, it's, please, you know, for one of tennis because like just yeah. Which she is seems crazy like a magnet for, for yeah. these good awesome matches. matches. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's 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 funny too because um, when it comes to the WTA, like there's a lot of 
great players in the mix. And a lot of them, you, you genuinely want them to win a title or like a title that they're missing. Like, for example, we just talked about Halep and Barty, and I literally want both of them to win the Australian Open. Like, right. Halep, because it would just really be just super cathartic for her. Like, it would definitely be like a, tire, a title that she deserves. Mm-hmm. And for Barty, like, she hasn't played particularly well in in big moments in the past couple of years in Australia probably because of a bit of like the pressure of playing like the home slam um which doesn't hasn't had a an Australian winner since god knows how long at this moment but like um um and And she's number one will win in like five years (laughs) (laughs) what's he Thomas is gonna single handedly win just just hitting slices. Oh, God. <laughs> he stops complaining about how he's gonna get tested positive. <laughs> yeah, true. I, I should have thought through that joke before I made it. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, I I do agree with you, Andre. Like, yeah. I I will admit that Halep, at some point in her career, I want her to win the Australian Open. Yeah. Like, um, every time kind she like plays Andy there. Murray. Yeah, exactly. Like every time she plays there. I mean, and I I could talk for an hour about this, but I think it's like 2018 where. She played a match in the third round, 15-13 in the third, saved three match points. Semi-final, 9-7 in the third, saved two match points. Mm-hmm. In the final, third set against Wozniacki, Halep is up a break at 4-3, and then loses three games in a row. Like, kind of gasses out right as Wozniacki started to peak. Um, and then, I mean, has, has gets the runner-off plate, and then she has to go to the hospital for, like, heat exhaustion and dehydration. And I'm like, that is brutal. Like, to push yourself that hard and not win like i think um i think if the tennis gods are merciful like helpful <laughs> in the australian open before her career ends um so yeah. yeah yeah and i mean it would be so great also for you know like for barty because she's from us because of australian and the support that she has and connection with yvonne Gulagong, all those other things mm. right like mm-hmm. for her to win at home is is really big because mm. i mean sort of the last two or three years she sort of felt the pressure a lot in a big match like towards the end of the tournament and it just hasn't worked out for her. Yeah. And, and, you know, when players, when fans and people on Twitter and just other people, like when they talk about women's tennis, sort of like Halep and Barty are the only two players like sort of post Serena era who've cemented their place as like consistent world number ones, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Barty finishing three years in a row and then Halep like winning, finally winning a major in 2018. And then, finishing year at number one, 2017 and 2018. Um, so I think it sort of gets gets undersold because there's no like one dominant player. But these two, like in the last four or five years, I mean, not so much Halep anymore, have sort of like, uh, they sort of have that mental as like mm-hmm. consistent, like well-deserving number ones at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, like th- this is not a very eloquent way to say it, but like Barty is just so good. Like when yeah. when she's playing well, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I like I could if 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 she keeps it up, I could genuinely see her ending her career with like two hundred weeks at number one or something crazy like that. Um, yeah, yeah. the like goal the, for her is like win all four majors. Like get the calendar yeah. year. I mean, get the career slam. Yeah, like I mean, the way yeah. she's able to serve at five feet and five inches is ridiculous. Like she yes. must have the best technical motion of anyone in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, cause she, she pops in aces and like service winners better than people who are like six inches taller than her. Um, yeah. It is unreal. Um, I think we were talking before the start of this podcast, like against Kenan, she hit 17 aces in two sets. Um, yeah. Like it's absurd. Her slice is like the best in the world. Like everyone. Um, and whenever she comes up, people are like, yeah, the weakness is the top spin backhand. And that's true. But it's like, you can't really do anything about it because like 
if you hit it to her backhand, she's going to slice every shot, like keep the ball in play. And that mm-hmm. slice is a really tricky shot to handle because she can go anywhere with it. It's got a ton of movement. Um, and then the forehand is just one of the heaviest shots on tour. She can use the slice to set up the forehand. Um, it feels like when she plays, like practically every match is on yeah. her racket. And yeah, she can do anything with that, that forehand too, right? She can yeah. blast yeah. it like cross court or down the line. She can use the angles really nicely. She can keep it in play. She she literally has a game that you don't really see like falling apart that easily. And or yeah. she could really be pretty much anybody and um could be a tough match, but she has the tools to stay in the match and like to defend her serve. Um so yeah, it's it's it was just probably frustrating and disappointing really for her to not win the Australian Open in the last two editions that she's played. Yeah. She's definitely lost matches that she should have won. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. last year. So I think that's but, like, the thing, I, I that's think the she thing for me about her is like she beats everybody, she beats she's beats all of her rivals, like in the top ten and top twenty. Yeah. It's those odd matches like the one against Shelby Rogers at the US Open or like yeah, that was the wild. one against Mukova at the Australian Open or like you know, some matches here and there, but like like just the, the and I was watching the match against Fiontek and you think like Fiontek has one of the heaviest forehands in the game. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when and when she's peaking, like in the, the way she can just because it's such a heavy shot and she's so good she was so good getting to that semi-final that i I legitimately thought for a second like this could be a really competitive three-setter i I thought that too and it was not (laughs) close at all like and it just was not close like shiontek just looked and shiontek looked helpless i don't even think she played a bad match at all yeah like like, she she was trying so hard like she clearly wanted to win really badly and just right wasn't getting anywhere it was just so good like yeah and just the, the way she could sort of hits like her inside in forehand and like keeps you get like you just can't read the forehand side it's so yeah you can't read the serve the forehand is so versatile and you you, you don't know where it's is it going inside in is it going inside out it's mm-hmm. like and then mm-hmm. the angle she can find on it and even, even like her topspin backhand like she can hit good like passing shots with it or like good uh she can change directions with it or she can go down the line lobs like, and, yeah well slice loves yeah i I mean like she's she's like a number one so when we say like her toffs and backhand is a weakness what we really mean is it's like marginally worse than most people's backhands like it's not it's not like you hit it to her backhand and she immediately loses the point like it it takes work to to it's like like talking about roger federer in a sense like uh, yeah just hit to his backhand Mm, exactly yeah like no it's way more complicated than that yeah yeah um yeah yeah, it's crazy um I mean, yeah, and like her, I like the Federer comparison because like her forehand is like, I mean, I, I don't want to compare it directly to Federer's, but it's like that same category of forehands. Like she can hit it from anywhere to anywhere, mm-hmm. end the rally with one shot, don't know where it's going. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's one of the m- most huge shots on tour. Yeah, 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 for sure. I do. Yeah. Speaking of Shvantec, like I mean, when you when I remember just the match that I saw her like was playing against Fernandez. Um, she just couldn't miss and she moves incredibly well too like she slides so nicely on the hard court like you think like she can defend pretty much against anybody and the fact that she lost so convincingly like i feel like it's the um i don't know like i don't even know what to think like what can she do better like in in those situations like yeah has had a, a little bit of an issue like to getting past like later rounds in hardcore tournaments but i mean i guess this one is could be a class um, it could be qualified a little bit differently. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like good, good experience because like she beat she beat Azarenka, you know, before that, who I thought was playing really well. And like you said, like her defense sliding around the court, like her, just like she didn't do much wrong even against Barty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe just 
the the forehand like it, you can just rush it a little bit easier yeah and she can look a little bit she can be made to look a little bit slow on that wing you know kind of like an aging rafa i guess if you want to mm-hmm. put it that way or like you know maybe sometimes she just because she she also wins a lot of matches like very convincingly like mm-hmm. the one against fernandez or her running running the rowing girls title matches like that she just needs like just more time on the tour i feel like she's yeah. still so new it's it's crazy but like it's like last year was her first full year yeah exactly and play, players like Radu Kano who've like success with even less experience kind of take the focus off the fact that Sviantec still lacks a lot of experience um yeah. and yeah I mean what like the, the, this match kind of reminds me of um I mean Barty is just a, a terrible matchup for most players as well like at, at Wimbledon in the semifinals like she she beat Kerber like close first set blowout second set and I was like Kerber played well you know like I don't I don't really know what you can take from a match like that where you play well and you lose in straights and it's not because like you failed to win a few big points. Um, I think like the, the cruel fact of that is like the player who beats you is a solidly better player. Um, and you have to improve a lot or hope that they have a bad day um, to change the result. Yeah. I think it's really a matter of game style. Like I feel like a lot of players in the WTA, like are very used to just, rallying and using topspin most of the time and i think vardy really brings in this slice mm-hmm. um, and, and a bigger serve which is kind of creeping back into the wta now like a lot of players have good serves and are trying to serve better like especially it's probably the serena effect that took a long yeah. time to um come to fruition um but yeah i feel like serving well and using slice backhands to like you know disrupt play i think it's a yeah. um a characteristic that Barty is a master of like in the yeah. WTA tour. And it's, it's hilarious to me that there was like a movement on tennis Twitter saying like her game is boring. Like <laughs> she is one of the most unique games out of anyone. Like this is it's the opposite of boring. I mean, and it's like even allowing for subjectivity and like her, no, no one plays like she does, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I really hope that um, like she's healthy for the entire year, like plays everywhere and plays like all the top players. Um because I think she could do some really amazing things. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of top players, and when you were mentioning Spiontek, I, I didn't realize this, but like um, Amanda and Nisimova, right? Mm-hmm. Who sort of fallen off. Uh, she won a title this week, or she yeah. won a title last week. Like she's, she was the first to like make a major semifinal of sort of like the young group in Roland Garros in 2019. And she was less than 18 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. And now she's, she finally wins a title. She's working with Darren Cahill. It was such a good story. Like just to see her back. She's one of the best like ball strikers on tour. She played that really good match against Pushkova at the US Open, seven six in the third. Like she's she's somebody who I think could have a really good year this year. And finally mm-hmm. she's sort of come to terms with like because she's really struggled like the last two and a half years. Like she lost her father. She um had injuries. She lost some confidence. She finally started to get it back sort of at the end of last year. And now she's working with Darren Cahill, who worked with Simona Held for six years. And she was down three love in the third set against Sasnovich in the final, and she ended up winning. And she had some really, really good like results this week. Like she beat Hazakina 6-2-6 love in the semifinals. You know, just a mm-hmm. blowout win. I feel like with her ball striking and her movement is somewhat always limited um mm. at this point in her career but like she's definitely somebody who can make a push to the very top of the game 
like yeah. contend for majors. And yeah, just I mean, add to the list of her, the her rally ball is one of the heaviest out of anyone yeah. on tour. Um, I mean, she was playing a match against Pliskova at um the U.S. Open, and like when they were rallying, rallying, it felt like each shot had the weight of like a house or something. Um, like it can yeah. guarantee it would have knocked me down. Um, but yeah, it, it's amazing, and that's um it's a huge asset to have because it means like when you play at your best, you can overpower almost anyone. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Her backhand is just money. Yeah. Like she can change yeah. directions with it, go down the line, cross court. It's such a, it's such a pure shot, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and just as a, a last, a last topic, maybe since right now we're back into talking to like young generational players, like um, we talked a little bit before the podcast about Raducanu and her results. Um, she obviously hasn't done too well after the u.s open um but um what do you guys think like uh, i haven't watched her her play but i honestly don't know exactly how six love six one looks like um you know like it, it, she definitely if she played well her opponent rubakina must have played like an insanely good match yeah. to win it at that score so i'm just assuming that either rubakina played like a really good match and kind of disrupted Raducanu a lot or Raducanu just really was too rusty and didn't play her game at all mm-hmm. um, yeah I, but what do you guys think about like maybe I don't have to project too far into this year because we really didn't see much of her even though she's a Grand Slam champion but like um even for the Australian Open just which is just around the corner mm-hmm. yeah I I didn't really see the match um so I can't comment on that front yeah. but I think it's kind of important to remember that like the player Emma Raducanu ends up being at the end of her career, we may not know at all yet. Um, and she's still, I think, 18 or 19. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, she so little experience still. Like, um, like that, that U.S. Open was unbelievable, and it was incredible. And we can ag- acknowledge all that while also acknowledging, like, to do it again will be, like, even tougher. Um, mm-hmm. So many experiences still to be had. Um, I don't know if she's had, c- kind of like Medvedev almost, like, she won it so uneventfully that like um i don't know if she's had like a signature win yet where like she's had to fight from behind or like save some match points um or um or beat like the world number one um so i think like i I think like until i don't know like three four or five years down the line when she's actually gotten to like experience the tour more um i don't think it's smart to pass judgment on Mm -hmm. any of her matches like no matter how crazy they might be Yeah, yeah i agree for me, like I'm not, I wasn't too worried, you know. Even the even by the scoreline, six love, six one. I think she lost a match like that at the end of the year last year, also. Uh, you know, and I saw some quotes from her. Like I didn't see this match completely, but like Rabakin has been in really good form. Like she made the final um, last week and lost to Barty, and she's like a pretty much a top ten player. Like when she's playing really really well, and she's a top fifteen player. So like I just saw some quotes from her like after the match, and she said. She's always so like matured and reassuring, like uh, even after big wins and losses. And she said this was her second time playing competitive points in two months. And mm. she's pretty confident that she can brush it off and keep going in, you know, to lose a match six love six one. And then she said she goes to the practice court right after the match and just started hitting because she just wants to keep putting herself there, even if she just gets knocked down and then just keep starting over, you know, again and again and just build you know because she didn't she didn't have that last year she really just climbed up 500 levels so like for her this is all just like a slow and steady progress now it's yeah. kind of like you've won a major now your career starts it's such a weird way of putting it, it but like yeah. i feel like that's just where she's at right now it's just unprecedented completely yeah 
You know? um, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see like how her arc ends up looking like, is it going to be like, is it actually a disadvantage to kind of experience the glory first? Because right. now, like usually when most people win a major, it's like they're fully formed. Like we just saw with Medvedev, but with her, it's like she won a major, but now it's like, um, there's still all these obstacles ahead. Like, you know, she needs to still like get her heart broken by a loss and, um, you know, experience the grind for a few years and see if like, it's something that she can handle without, um, kind of having a lapse in motivation like team did recently. Um, yeah. stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so, so I almost wonder if like, as a player, it's more ideal to like go through all that before you win a major, because then it's almost like you can just like, there's nothing stopping you from like winning more of them. Whereas for Raducanu, it's like, um, like I said, there are all these obstacles in the way. Um, so I'm really interested to see how that turns out. Yeah, yeah I think what I, I think, just want yeah. is like, her, you know, just people to like sort of just go easy on her because yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's it's just really tough. Like your whole life just changes in in a flash beat. Like I'd really just love for her to get like a really nice reception at Wimbledon or like hopefully a really deep run mm-hmm. by then. You know, just like just like go out and just play without any sort of expectations or whatever because I feel like expectations are like low now. Yeah. Uh, and and people have sort of understood that you know like this week like I didn't hear that much even about this match and yeah like he's like she lost six left six one so I think that that's a good sign uh, yeah. that people are starting to recognize that yeah and, I, I mean with, with her game like if you know on a fast court if she's playing well like there's no you know I mean she anywhere from the first round to like the fourth round or something at the Australian Open like for me it's like you know anything really because mm-hmm. like she had she had COVID and she hadn't played in two months i mean that's yeah, yeah. that's you know, a that's long not, time it's not yeah, ideal it's, to a major yeah, that's for mm-hmm. sure so i think for me like it, this year it could be could be really good for her if she puts herself like in the right mindset because well we can we can deny that she now has a lot of money <laughs> so that's yeah. uh that's something that already puts her in a, in a big advantage of, uh, uh like amongst uh, many players who are her age at this point because she has her you know his she's like she's developing physically still and so she's she's young she can recover faster so if she plays grinding matches like she can still come back um and she having the money she can like just put it like hey let's let's take this year and just like see what happens right like again she can play without like lower expectations just just really filling out the tour and she won't have the pressure of like performing and like winning many matches and like going deep in, in tournaments because she has like a little bit of a safety net. Of course, you cannot rely on that for forever. Like, and I also don't think that um, maybe experiencing glory, like taking this year, just be like, hey, like I'm probably not going to win another major this year, and like mm-hmm. just d- doing this, uh, just just seeing how it goes, like not putting too much pressure on herself. Like she can get the experience. Um, get the matches going on um just seeing like experiencing other players as well because at her ranking she's going to be facing more players who are like um top 50 top 30 if she goes deeper in a tournament she's probably going to be facing top 15 top 10 players as well um so the glory could probably come back to her mind like next year or maybe at the end of this year like the us open there's no reason why she wouldn't try to defend her title right but at the, at the same time, she wouldn't be like, hey, like now I'm going to go for the Australian Open as well, which is, I won't say unrealistic because as as Vansh said, is unprecedented. Who knows? Maybe she's going to win the career, the, the Grand Slam this year. You know, like... Maybe she, she, she just already, picks yeah, up the majors, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like she already did at the US Open. Like we have no idea what's going to happen. Like the odds of that happening are low, but so were for the US Open as well. But, you know, 
I feel like she, if she takes it right, she can develop herself into like a consistent top ten player. Yeah, top yeah, absolutely. Like her, her game is mind blowingly good when yeah. when it's working. Yeah. We saw that at the U.S. Open. So now it's just all about trying has, to reproduce yeah, that she, as soon yeah. as possible. She just has all the tools now in her bag and money yeah. included. You know what I mean? So yeah, I feel like all the title winners of last week were just like players that people just love to root for. You know, like yeah. just the happy. <laughs> Players, I mean, you have Nadal, you have Halep, you have him in Zimbabwe, you have Monfils winning a title at 35 and a half. You know, so good to see him back, like, playing really well. And then you have, mm-hmm. then you had Osaka finally back on the court, winning three matches, and then sort of just conserving her body. Mm-hmm. So, like, and, you know, the last time she's, last few times she's sort of withdrawn, you know, before, like, a tune-up before a hardcore major, she's gone and won it. I mean, I'm not saying she's going to do that this time, but it's just nice to see her sort of back and, healthy after the all the struggles she had last year yeah. especially because in, in my opinion like osaka is probably the best hardcore player like yeah. right now yes if she's if she's playing well i think she's yeah pretty much unbeatable yeah i, I agree although like i i want to see so badly a hardcore major final between osaka and party um, oh yeah i feel 100%. like that i feel like that would be like okay who's the best player in the world and that needs um, to happen <laughs> yeah oh my god i i hope we get that so badly um so this is um this is a bit of a tangent, but do you guys remember uh, Stu Fraser this past week asked Nadal a question in press where he's like, "No, you haven't made the semis of the Australian Open since you won it in 2009." Um, yeah. and uh, and Nadal kind of had that um that reaction where he's like, "What do you mean?" And then he like explains like, "No, these are all the years I made the final." Um, do you guys remember that? I do, yeah, and I remember okay. there were like memes about his face. Yes, uh, exactly. So on so on Twitter, Neil Harmon, who is a guy who used to be a tennis journalist for the times and eventually got like fired or resigned from all his positions because he plagiarized from the Wimbledon annual yearbook. Um, he, he basically said on Twitter, Oh dear, the times ain't what they used to be to like make fun of Stu Fraser. And, uh, and Stu responded, thanks Neil, a very busy week, but still a brain fade that I'm struggling to explain having attended two of the four finals he mentions. Anyway, I'm not sure you're in a great position to be taking pot shots at other journalists. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Journalism <laughs> drama. <laughs> I just wanted to share that because it's so funny. Like, Journalism imagine... drama is it's coming with um, you know, the finesse of people who know how to write. So right. You know like I mean? and I mean, imagine like and the, this plagiarism thing was way back in twenty fourteen, I think. Um like imagine imagine doing that and then just waiting on Twitter for eight years being like have people forgotten yet? Like, can I can I make fun of other journalists again? Like, that's maybe try maybe try not making fun of people first, and right. when you rebuild your reputation, and then you can make fun of other people. Yeah. Anyway, um, I I just thought that was funny. Yeah. yeah. So so he completely missed that Nadal made other finals after. 2009. Is that what it is? Like he just completely screwed up. Yeah. His, yeah. His like he said. Um. Yeah, he didn't even think he had made a semifinal since 2009. Oh it was God. just a, it was just a stats mistake. And like, it's a, it's a very bad stats mistake. But it's like he, he had a long week. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This, has got to be rough. Like when, when you say that to Nadal. Yeah, I mean Riley Opelka is saying like, like someone he should either try harder or like someone else should have this position. It's like, is he not allowed to make one mistake? Like I um, the I comparison mean, I thought of is like, yeah. dude, you've you've double faulted in big matches doesn't mean you're a bad server like yeah these guys are working hard and traveling like yeah you know an economy big big travels like long travels mm-hmm. probably jet lagged and you know yeah, I mean, yeah. like he, he made one mistake i guess 
it's yeah. it's a yeah. big mistake and he's probably gonna hear from that one later but like it's still like yeah he's gonna keep his job like yeah. he's gonna do better <laughs> right and, you um, know sometimes you misspeak sure or you misphrase things uh, even yeah. rafa and his response was like yeah it said 2018 instead of 2019 yeah 2019 so you know and you know people forget years and things like yeah, that I mean, seriously stuff. Yeah, Vonch, I was so glad you pointed that out on Twitter because I read that and I was like, he's also wrong, but no one's going to be talking about that. Like, We're just human after all, even though yeah. some, some are much more talented than others. But... Yeah. Uh, all of us are human, but some are more human than others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, at some point I want to ask Ophelka, like, wh- what was written about you that made you hate tennis media? Because like, I'm not, I'm not saying he's wrong to feel this way, but like, I, I want to know what it was that like started the hate. Next time you get a credential, you can, you can ask him that. Yeah, yeah. All right. I guess uh, we covered everything tennis-wise. And, you know, there was a lot of things to talk about that were not about Djokovic got caught in immigration pro- problems in Australia. So makes me happy that tennis is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now I'm going to go, like, chill for three hours until the, the draw and or the decision come out. And exactly. the world explodes again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And we'll be back so, with all the with all the action when the draws come out right and we'll yeah 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 are, 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 are we doing this when are we doing a draw for you we'll see um whenever okay. i finish this podcast we can talk about it. sweet yeah <laughs> yes. all right G- glad our anyway. listeners know um how how like structurally structurally yeah. good we are with planning like, yeah yeah we've got you when, um, <laughs> when we get more than a thousand listeners per episode we're definitely going to structure ourselves like so share your share this podcast with everyone that you know if you want us to get more structured yeah get I, I mean a thousand plays per, uh, per episode even share it with the people you don't know if you're just walking down the street past someone yeah. random like say do you like bagels do you like tennis? yeah so stop them and say hey you need to listen to this podcast yeah. um and then maybe we can hit a thousand so get on it yeah. please yeah Anyway, <laughs> thanks, guys, for, for um, showing up. Uh, it was a great discussion. It was great talking about tennis, um, actual encore tennis this time. Um, and yeah, Vansh is at VanshVTK, Owens at Tennis Nation, and I am at Rolenberg Andre on Twitter. Tennis and Bagels at Tennis and Bagels. Couldn't be easier. Um, we are going through a little bit of a transition process from Anchor to ACAS. If you don't know what it is, it, it pretty much means that it might not be available on all the platforms for a couple days, but I'll be working on fixing that very, very soon. Um, so yeah, thanks for your support. Thanks for listening and see you later. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.